Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And we are doing this episode now for the third time. I hope the third time is the charm. It's funny, Annie, because we had talked about doing a lighthearted episode after going through part one and two of The Butcher Baker and that being such a heavy subject. So Annie was going to take over and talk about a conspiracy theory. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. We still will. But I do have to say it is very odd that the first time we talk about conspiracy theories is the only time we've ever had audio issues and had to scrap two episodes. So we definitely apologize for this being a little late. But as always, I think quality is more important than quantity. So going forward, of course, we will try to have episodes out on Sundays when we say they're going to be out. But we wanted to make sure that you guys could actually hear this because this is a really fun episode. With that said, I'm going to let Annie take it away because my voice at this point is getting a little hoarse. Not agree more. It's crazy how many technical difficulties we've had with this case, but we are onward and upward from this point on. But before we dive in, wow, this week has been wild in the true crime world. I wanted to give some brief updates and do a little in case you missed it. These are going to be really short snippets, but we will release updates on these and any other breaking news as it comes in on our Instagram, which is at a case of the Sunday Scaries. Most of us have heard of the disappearance of Mara Murray. For those who haven't, Mara was 21 years old when she disappeared under suspicious circumstances on the evening of February 9th, 2004, after her car crashed in Havern Hill, New Hampshire. To this day, her whereabouts remain unknown. As of Wednesday, July 13th, some hopeful news was released. Investigators are back on the ground researching the wooded area Mara was last seen at. A lead investigator said their goal is to cover ground that has previously been covered but they are doing a more extensive search with the hopes of finding any evidence that might be relevant to the case. Officials also said there is no new information that prompted the operation, but I think just having them go back in and get some fresh eyes on the location is not only a testament to law enforcement, but also to Mara's family, who has been absolutely relentless in the search of finding their daughter and sister. I think this is why I let you cover most of the missing and cold cases, Annie, because even as you're reading this, I can feel my anxiety rising. I hate doing the research into these things and then not having a conclusion. And I'm so happy they're taking a second or, you know, 50th look at this case and hopefully justice will be served. But I just want answers. And so if I feel this way, I can't imagine what her family and friends have been feeling since her disappearance. It's been so long since she was last seen. And the family did say that they are guarded, but optimistic. And I really encourage our listeners to go follow her sister, Julie, on TikTok. The account's called at Mara Murray Missing, and she gives updates in real time. I really enjoy following her sister and seeing how much she loves Mara and just wants some answers. Next up, we have some really sad news out of Indiana. On July 6th, Kyle Mormon, who was 27 years old and lived in Indianapolis, told his family he was taking his three young kids fishing. What's interesting is that this was an evening trip, and his last known cell phone ping was at 12.48 a.m. on the morning of July 7th. Him and his kids never came home that day. His family issued a big search. Law enforcement got involved. But sadly, that search came to an end on Tuesday, July 12th, when divers pulled a car with all four bodies out of a pond on the southwest side of Indianapolis. 
Do they know if this is a family annihilation type scenario or are we just not there yet in the investigation? We're not there yet, but I think there's a lot of suspicion, even from the family, that Kyle didn't have the best intentions. It's odd. The kids were super young and to do a night fish already raised some red flags. I think them not coming home immediately, the family jumped into action. I'll see what law enforcement comes back with. But as of now, I don't think there's really any definitive answers. That's so tragic. Mm -hmm. Now let's go over to rural South Carolina, where Alex Murdoff was indicted on two counts of murder in the shootings of his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. Finally. Finally. Mr. Murdoff comes from this very powerful family in rural South Carolina. He has already faced a wave of fraud and theft charges since the killings last summer. He allegedly lured his wife to their cabin on the night she disappeared, and she had texted her friend saying Alex's behavior was fishy. Oh, if that's not an incriminating text before you get, I believe, shot to death, uh, I don't know what is. One of our Scary Squad listeners named Danielle messaged us on Instagram, and she said, quote, I was hoping this case would expose more of the good old boy system happening all over South Carolina and the people who helped him get away with it, end quote. And we cannot agree more. Yeah, Danielle, you hit the nail on the head with that one because I've been following this family for a while just because it is wild. This man has paid someone to kill him that didn't work. His son, who has now passed away, was involved in a potential drunk boating accident that ended up with another person dying. This family has bodies and secrets piling up all around them, and they've gotten away with it because up until this point, good old daddy was part of a very, as you said, very, very powerful legal family in that area. And so it is nice that finally, hopefully, he will have to pay the repercussions for this. Absolutely. And as of this round of filming, because this is our third round, Alex is pleading not guilty. Oh, that's new. Yes, that's new as of this morning. To that, I say, sure, Jan, that little meme. (laughs) Next up is a case with a huge plot twist. There's an investigation happening with author Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing. Delia, her ex-husband Mark, and his son Christopher are being sought in connection with the fatal shooting of a suspected poacher that happened nearly three decades ago in Zimbabwe. After getting married in 1972, Delia and her former husband, Mark, ran the Owens Foundation for Wildlife Conservation in Africa. Their mission was to protect elephants from poachers. This alleged murder of the suspected poacher was caught on camera and included in a 1996 ABC documentary called Deadly Game, The Mark and Delia Owens Story. This is wild to me. We just talked last episode about the deadliest game. And now we have a potential poacher, which you shouldn't be doing that, sir. But I don't know if that is necessarily an excuse to be killed. I don't even know if I have words for this because it was such a shock. When this came up on like my news feed, I thought there's no way they're just doing this like publicity stunt because the movie is about to come out. And the book obviously is surrounding a murder. So maybe this was just some weird, bizarre PR move. But the fact that her book was about a murder and now it's like, what is the symbolism here? I know she's made note of that in other articles that everything in the book is a symbol for something else. I'm like, is this book an autobiographical book of how you killed someone? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people connecting the story with this supposed murder. And what's wild is the investigation is stalled because... There's a lack of extradition treaty between the U.S. and Zimbabwe, 
And ABC is refusing to cooperate. That's via the LA Times. We have to follow up on this. And lastly, on a really dark and sad note, let's talk about the heartbreaking case out of Michigan. It involved Tierney Lee Savage, who was 35 years old, her son Dayton Cowdery, who was 13, her mother Kim Ebright, who was 58, and Bo Eugene Savage, who was 35, who, according to court documents, was Tierney's husband. She tried to fill out a restraining order against Bo, stating that he had stopped taking his mental health medication and he had recently purchased a firearm and was also making threats against his own life as well as hers. She went to court and the judge dismissed her petition based upon insufficient evidence. A few days after that, on July 7th, she filed for divorce and three days later, all of their bodies were found killed by gunshot wounds. The investigation is ongoing, but the police are investigating this as a murder-suicide. These cases make my blood boil because I have some personal experience with having to file restraining orders, going through the process of trying to separate from an abusive relationship. And to hear a mother saying that she wanted to protect herself, protect her son, and then being denied access to that protection, I understand there is a lot of ups and downs in these situations because they don't want to obviously take a parent away from a kid just based on someone's accusations. Okay. But she made some pretty big points that he was off of his medicine, which should be taken seriously. He had recently purchased a firearm, should be taken very seriously, and making threats. Even if it's just a temporary where they do some investigation, this should have happened or we would not be sitting here talking about the murder of three people and the suicide of another. It's so sad. She did what what we're supposed to do. Go to a judge, make your case, have valid points. It's so sad for me to think of her leaving the courthouse, just feeling defeated, and then this happening. It's ridiculous. The only hope I have coming out of this is that maybe because this story has been in the headlines this week, is that like many cases, when they get a little bit of media exposure, it kind of puts pressure on the legal system to re-look at their methods of doing things. So hopefully something good can come of it. But we didn't need to lose three innocent people in the interim I, and countless others but whose stories aren't in the media. It's I just, agree. it's very, very frustrating as someone who's gone through this process herself and seen the lack of protection and care that's taken for people that are trying to make sure that they're protected. It is infuriating. No, that's a great way to put it. All these stories are really new and we'll keep everyone posted as best we can, like I said, via our Instagram. So now that we have some updates over with, let's get on to this creepy conspiracy episode, shall we? Please. I'm a big fan of conspiracy theories, and I gave everyone a little teaser on the last episode with the word airport, and then I proceeded to say conspiracy, so I feel like everyone probably put two and two together. But today I'm covering all the mysteries of the Denver International Airport. I quickly wanted to make a note for our listeners who have not traveled through this airport. It's referred to as DIA because it stands for Denver International Airport, which is what I'll be calling it throughout the episode. There are a lot of conspiracies when it comes to the airport, but I think it's really important to start at the very beginning. Before DIA, Denver had a different airport called the Stapleton Airport. This airport opened in 1929 and was the major airport in the region for more than 65 years. In total, the airport was seven square miles and only 10 minutes from downtown Denver in the area called Stapleton, hence the name. It quickly became the fifth busiest airport in the nation. 
Eventually, Denver started becoming more popular and more air traffic began entering Stapleton Airport. Around this time, planes were also advancing and becoming louder, which upset the people in the neighborhood of Stapleton, rightfully so. They started demanding that the airport be moved, and they really just wanted some peace and quiet. Just to give a little context around how close this airport was to the community, I found an interview that Denver 7 News did, and they interviewed a woman named Nadine Caldwell. She said the airport runway was only three blocks from her front yard in Stapleton, and it was so close that her and her family and friends used to actually sit on the front lawn and watch the airplanes take off. As fun as that part sounds, I'm not a mom, but if you had a new little baby around the house and you were just in survival mode and you finally get that child down to sleep for a nap, a moment of, you know, break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Repose, and you imagine a huge Southwest flight just coming overhead and shaking your house. Yeah, and your whole house is shaking and the noise is going. I mean, absolutely not. I would be so infuriated. I have dogs and I know that they'd be barking (laughs) if they heard an airplane every 15 minutes. That would be, oh my goodness, no, I would move. Well, and today Stapleton's this very family-friendly neighborhood. I know this was a, a bit ago, so it was kind of still up and coming, but it was it's always been family friendly. We have those old brick houses, those big trees over the road, like very quaint. And to have this airport and all this noise would not be ideal. But the city listened. And in September of 1989, ground broke and the construction of the new airport began. Want to know something kind of funny about this piece? Always. When discussing the conspiracy theories about DIA with my husband before researching the episode, I was convinced that the biggest conspiracy was why the airport was built in the first place. There was already a perfectly good airport, but I can admit when I'm wrong. No, no. When I was misled. Okay. Because clearly. (laughs) You're going to re-qualify it as misled? (laughs) I'm not wrong. I'm misled. But whenever you hear back to how loud it was and how close it was to neighborhoods, I do think the new airport was necessary. And we have proof that Denver Airport was in fact needed for the poor community of Stapleton. So now that we have a really brief background of the airports, let's get into the creepy stuff, the conspiracies. Yes, please. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. Here we go. First up, we have the size of this airport. I didn't know this, but Denver is the largest airport in the country and the second largest in the world. If you're wondering how an airport this large can be in Denver, it's not. DIA is located about 30 miles east of the city and on this very large, desolate piece of land. In total, the airport is 53 square miles, which equates to 34,000 acres. We went from seven miles to the previous Stapleton Airport to now how many square miles? 53. The airport's not that big. That has to include the runways and everything else, right? Exactly. It includes the whole, yep. All the land that the airport sits on. That's still a ton. And for the fact that it's the second biggest, you would think like New York, Tokyo, I don't know, Paris. Like Those would be the biggest hubs. And yet Denver, right smack in the middle of the country, is the biggest. Good old Colorado. To give a little size around how big 34 acres is, because I know it's kind of hard to picture, that area is bigger than a few cities, including San Francisco, Miami, and Manhattan. So you can take all of Manhattan and just plop it right into the property for the Denver airport. And still have a little space to run around. Yes. That's crazy how big this area is. It's massive. The second largest airport in the country is Dallas-Fort Worth, and it's only about half the size of DIA, coming in at 17,000 acres. 
Another interesting fact is that DIA's acreage houses not only the airport terminals, but multiple other buildings and hangars for the airport's use, kind of to your point, Elise, of what exactly is filling up this vast space. This allows for possible expansion in the future, as well as helps keep the airport from crowding and bothering the citizens of Denver. But the extra buildings and hangars are completely unmarked, leading one to wonder if they're strictly for airport use or something far more secret. By the size of the airport alone, it's clear that this was a massive project. But the delays were significant. When I say significant, I mean like two full years of setbacks. It was supposed to open in 1993, but it was delayed until 1995. One might wonder what exactly caused these delays. These delays happened because of the number of design changes during construction, as well as the contract disputes that led to many different workers on the job working under different contractors. During this period of time, and even to this very day, no one really knows the true scope of the project because architects of the airport wanted it that way. I expect there to be delays in construction. Mm-hmm. I've seen my parents build a home. It was not done on time. <laughs> so I would imagine that this is, you know, a big, big project. Am I right in saying that you're telling me you would show up for work? Maybe you're working on Concourse A mm-hmm. and you're working for Tom. And the next day you go to Concourse C and you're working for Bob the Builder. And yet you never have a full picture of start to finish of the area you're working on. They're just moving people around. Exactly. And I think that's pretty rare in the construction world. Typically, if you start on a big project, you want to see it finished because you know the ins and outs of that specific area. But for DIA, they were constantly doing these pivots, not only in the design of the airport, but also in their duties and who was leading them. So you'd have a new boss every day. Not only does that sound sketchy, but that sounds potentially like a hazard. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not working from start to finish, how do you know that the guy before you remembered to put all of the nails in the wall during construction that he was supposed to? And then you're just picking up where supposedly he left off? This makes no sense. No, it doesn't. And there's a lot of confusion around the project because no one can definitively give these answers because they simply don't know. Another odd factor in the construction of the airport is the fact that they were over budget by nearly $3 billion. And yes, that's billion with a B. That is Jeff Bezos money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of taxpayer money, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. I'll get into that piece in a little bit because you're going to be surprised around that. This is where some people started getting a little suspicious of the airport. Why did it take so much longer than anticipated? And why was it so over budget? People like you and I, began to speculate that there are things going on at DIA that the general public is unaware of. Now, I get it. I get it. People are probably thinking, come on, Annie, it's the largest airport in the country. Of course, it's going to be large and expensive. But you cannot convince me that all of this is necessary. That's a lot of dough and a lot of land for an airport. And I have some questions. Well, I hope you also have some answers because I am feeling a little confused. You're already setting us up with some shoddy craftsmanship if they're not even finishing the jobs that they're assigned to. So I'm going to want to know the purpose for all of this. Remember, this is a conspiracy. So I don't know if I'm going to give you answers, but I'm definitely going to make your mind go into places that you probably haven't thought about before. Annie, whatever you say, I believe. So it's no longer a conspiracy. It's it's truth. (laughs) You heard it here. I won't mislead you, I promise. Now, the next thing I heard of and did more research on was the amount of underground levels that Denver has. In fact, 
There are as many as six underground levels below the ground floor of the airport. Six underground levels. I was just at the Denver airport on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You check in, you go downstairs, and I think it's about two floors that you go down. It's two different escalators, and then you get to the trains. And you're telling me that when I'm on that train, there's at least four, maybe five levels below me? As many as up to six, correct. So whenever you're on that, you feel like you're on the bottom of the airport. No, yeah. no, no. I'm saying below that, there are six underground levels that people cannot enter. They can't. We can't get to that just from, like, you wouldn't just run into those underground levels being in the airport. I'm checking okay. the elevator because it only has three buttons. That's what I saw. Well, there'd be like a little star button and we hit it one day and we get we get sucked into the <laughs> underground because we had this episode come out and everyone's watching us. And no, I'm, that's where I go down a rabbit hole of like, is this safe to release? I think it's fine. But those levels aren't just for trains, but for who knows what. When you go back to how large the airport is, it spans over 53 miles, give and take a few for the runways. You can easily fit a small city under there. So my thought is, what is under there and why do we need these underground levels? Before I get to that part, you can't have underground levels without some way to get from point A to point B and enter into the chat, the tunnel system. DIA has a very complex system of tunnels, and if you've ever been on the train, like you said, Elise, you take it to get from the main terminal to the concourses. You've actually been on the first level of tunnels. Originally, these tunnels were set up to help get bags from the baggage drop to the planes, but fun fact, they have never utilized the tunnels to their full potential. You're telling me $3 billion wasn't enough money to get some faulty craftsmanship fixed up and you could get your bags on time, which doesn't happen often in the Denver airport. If you haven't traveled there, let me tell you, it is often delayed. So this baggage system would be real nice, I assume. Yep. So they created this massive tunnel system for suitcases, for bags, whatever, but they don't use it. Supposedly it's faulty, but I think those tunnels were created for something else. I really do. Some people have said that these tunnels connect DIA to the Cheyenne Mountain Air Force Base, which is about 70 miles south in Colorado Springs. A little bit about this Air Force Base, it's actually built into Cheyenne Mountain and is considered one of the world's most secure buildings. This complex is located under 2,000 feet of granite, has six tunnels, each being three stories tall, is secured against seismic activity and nuclear explosion, and is prepared and strengthened against electromagnetic pulse attacks. What? I did not know that this was a thing, but also as soon as you're explaining this, I'm wondering how the heck people go about building this fortress is what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like a military base. It sounds like a fortress into a mountain. Lots of dynamite. I suppose so. I feel like that is kind of creepy. Why do we need that much protection? And then why would the airport potentially have a tunnel going back and forth? Exactly. And I actually looked at photos of this mountain Air Force base. And if you've ever seen Stranger Things on Netflix, it kind of reminds me of the laboratory where Elle and the other kids were. It's very secure, lots of rooms and hallways, and no windows at all. Is this your way of, of hinting that I need to finally give in and watch Stranger Things? Okay, I feel like our listeners are probably just as baffled that you've never seen Stranger Things. I'm not into science fiction. I want to keep it real life. But okay, it's tying into our cases. I get it. I will watch. You have homework now, Elise. So we have underground levels a massive tunnel system that potentially reaches an Air Force base. And we have this very solid theory that there is a huge military base under DIA. 
after all my research, after the multiple articles I read, I think this is very plausible. I do want to preface this portion by saying it's scary. I think a lot of the DIA conspiracies, they're not lighthearted, but the following one makes me a little bit nervous to go back to DIA. I got a little bit paranoid writing and researching. At least I know I was texting you like, feel like I'm being watched. But this part's creepy. Well, and then our audio cut out twice, so maybe we are. So maybe just whisper this portion. And then we had the weird locust last time who mysteriously appeared on the window while we were talking about this. And it was huge. And you're like, I've never seen that guy. We've had a lot of weird happenings around trying to get this recorded. But I do appreciate that every time you've added a new conspiracy for me to dive into. So it's kept it interesting for me. And I know people are going to be obsessed with this. Amen to that. Lucky for us, we have two people by the names of Alex Christopher and Phil Schneider, who are going to take us on a journey. Philip Schneider was a U.S. government geologist and engineer. He was involved in the construction of deep underground military bases known as DUMS. Allegedly, he was assassinated by a U.S. intelligence agency for disclosing the truth about the U.S. government cover-up of UFOs and aliens. I think it's important to note that he was a whistleblower. And when he was found dead, it was first ruled as a suicide. But after an autopsy was done, the cause of death was unknown. And there were notes and mentions that he had been strangled. Well, I would think it would be quite difficult to strangle yourself. 100%. always bring it to suicide? Always. What's even more interesting is that before he died, Phil bought a gun for protection and told people that if he was found dead, it was not suicide, that he had been murdered. I'm giving this background because I want to set the stage for this next part. It's going to sound bizarre, and I understand that. But there is so much evidence that Phil was involved with the government and he was very vocal about what was going on behind closed doors. Back in the early 80s, Phil was the head engineer for the construction of the base that was to go under the new Denver International Airport. This is how he's connected to the conspiracy theory because he actually worked on this supposed base underneath the airport. So he would have not only firsthand experience being down in these creepy deepy tunnels, but he was the one that engineered their building? Exactly. He was the head engineer. Now, mind you, this is not common knowledge that there's a base underneath the airport. I kind of glazed over that fact, but we have this whistleblower who works on these dumps, deep underground military bases, who was allegedly assassinated. I'm saying allegedly because I don't want to get in trouble, but we all know what actually happened. And he's talking all the time about how the government's involved. I think he has some credibility. Keep an open mind for this next part. The other person I talked about is named Alex Christopher, and her identity is so freaking hard to find. I googled who is Alex Christopher for probably 30 minutes and nothing came back. I can't help but wonder if after Phil's assassination, she went undercover, changed her identity, and was really scared. This article that I'm going to talk about came out before Phil was murdered. I think she's a journalist and photographer, but that's simply my speculation because her identity is truly a mystery. Could she have been writing under a pen name? So maybe she never was Alex Christopher? Oh, that's really good. I spent 30 minutes of my life looking for you, Alex. <laughs> you misled me. Come on. <laughs> Alex and Phil gained access to the underground facilities beneath DIA before it opened. Keep in mind, Phil worked underneath on this base. I looked at photos that Alex published, and she talks not only about her personal experience being underground and what she saw, but also things that Mr. Phil Schneider told her about. I'm going to paraphrase because there's a lot here and it's kind of hard to process. When Phil and Alex went on the lowest level they could, she said it was very, very hot down there, not cool like a basement. Phil, very matter-of-factly, said, 
That's because there are a lot of levels below us and heat rises. Oh, okay. So there might be more than six. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. I've kind of dug into some other conspiracies. And anytime someone makes a comment like this, I always think, is there a nuclear power plant that would be generating a lot of heat or some sort of computer machinery? Mm -hmm. I mean, even my laptop right now, I'm sweating. It puts out a lot of heat. (laughs) But that is very odd that they went down to the lowest level and she is sweating. Right. Because you think basements are cool. Cellars are cool. Dungeons are cool. I've never been in one, but life goal right there. I didn't even process that when you said it. How many dungeons have you visited, Annie? (laughs) They're in there pretty casually. (laughs) Another weird character in this conspiracy is a construction worker who told Alex that there are definitely five secret underground buildings with interconnecting tunnels that are roughly three miles long. He also told her that there is a huge 40-foot diameter tunnel that was already constructed in the place before Denver Airport was built And it's believed to connect to Dreamland, which ties into the Area 51 conspiracy. Oh, I don't like this. This is a lot of creepy little alien stuff happening. And you said that you don't like sci-fi, but that piece, anyone who's listening, I love a good Area 51 conspiracy. So the thought of this tunnel already being there, it kind of gives a little idea on why the airport was put there. But the fact that it connects to Dreamland, Area 51, is spooky. In the article, Alex talked about how there are two secret runways longer than any of DIA's current runways. A source who worked for Betchel Corporation. Wait, wait, I have to interrupt you. Did you just say Bachelor Corporation? Bachelor. Oh, good. I was just wanting to clarify. I um, am not some alien super spy. I have no part in this. (laughs) This company helped build these high-tech runways that cost $50 million, and they built them in the wrong place back in 1990. They then covered them up with about four inches of dirt, which is very interesting because these current runways are not being used. Why can't you just uncover them with the dirt? Denver has a ton of airplanes coming in and out. I'm sure they could use them, but they're high tech. So they're not just pieces of pavement like what we think about whenever we picture a runway in our head. If you made such a huge $50 million, did you say? That is a big quote-unquote error. Or at least that's what they're saying. But to cover it with dirt would make me think that you at some point think it could be used. What do you anticipate landing on that runway? Well, that enters my next part of this. Phil said the plan for the underground complex were for hundreds of miles of underground roads to all be connected with a high-speed bullet train that can go at mock speed. Mock speed occurs when objects move faster than the speed of sound. So my thought is, These runways were for something big to land. Well, I don't know much about aviation besides that I would very much enjoy a ginger ale on every flight that I'm on. But I am thinking to myself, you're talking about mid-early 90s, right? Technology Mm -hmm. has come a very long way. So if they're having this technologically advanced runway put in and all of these tunnels connecting it, and we're talking mock speed i think we only have that one like g-force plane that can break the sound barrier right now yeah they were already planning for this 30 years ago how and why phil also went on to tell alex that most of these underground bases are now jointly occupied by humans of course and either ancient earth races or alien races according to him these underground bases are to serve many different purposes such as medical research, prisons, work camps, military accommodations, food storage, and more. 
He's also claimed to have seen a nest of gray alien-like creatures with pupils that look like a reptile's underneath the airport. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am a person that believes in aliens. However, for some reason, when you said a nest, the image in my mind is not something that I'm enjoying very much. And now I'm just picturing every time that I'm at that airport and I get in that train that I am potentially just a few floors up from a nest of like creepy crawly aliens that look like lizard people. And that are making babies underneath the airport because a nest, I picture eggs and babies. I do not love this. I went too far there. (laughs) Yeah, my hands are sweating. I'm going to finish this section with a quote from Alex Christopher. She said, quote, I hope you can sleep well knowing this information. As for myself, I sleep very little, end quote. Well, Alex, thank you for your well wishes. But no, I will not be sleeping well tonight because now I'm going to be picturing tiny little baby aliens with giant eyes just blinking at me while I sleep. I'm going to post pictures of what she took. It gives them a lot of credibility for being underneath the airport. And you can see these huge concrete tunnels fences. You can see a lot of weird machinery down there. So I'll post all of that on our website along with our social media. Another weird thing that happened back in 2011 was President Obama visited Denver. The official reason was to do a three-state tour of the West to fundraise, which makes sense. Theorists noted that the president's visit could have been for two very different reasons. The first was to avoid Comet Elenin, which was known as the Doomsday Comet. I remember that comment because I was back in high school and I was very paranoid about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Elise, but wasn't it? It was one of those big comments that came oddly close to Earth and everyone was kind of panicking, but also trying to be really chill about it. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember this, but I have this theory of control what you can control. And I am not going to be flying into space taking care of an astronaut or not astronaut, (laughs) a comet for anyone. So it might have been one of those little things I packed away in the back of my brain and just thought, "Mm, I'll save that trauma for another time. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, okay, we have to have a plan in place. I'm a junior in high school at this point, pacing. My parents are like, you got to calm down. You can't control this. I remember this. Obviously, I'm a little scarred from it. But people believe that he was seeking shelter below DIA in the case of the comet hitting Earth and causing irreparable damage to our planet. Think about that bunker, all the levels, how it could almost hold a small city. Was he coming here to take shelter just in case? That would make a lot of sense because you said all of that granite, all of this underground stuff, it's a doomsday bunker for the elite. That would make total sense. Do you think we get to go to that one day, Elise? Well, you know, everyone that's listening, just take a quick pause unless you're driving and maybe hit that subscribe or follow button. And let's make this podcast really popular so that in the event of a (laughs) terrible comet and or warfare, we can go 30 miles and go hang out with Obama and Clinton. Oh, wait, I don't know if I want to hang out with these people, actually. (laughs) We'll go live on the gram if we do happen to ever go down there, though. We'll keep everyone up to date. (laughs) I think that might might revoke our invitation if all of a sudden we start live streaming. The other thought was that he was conducting a secret nuclear test in the tunnels under the airport. My question is, if they were testing nuclear bombs or whatever, wouldn't they have to shut down the airport? People come through that airport every single day. There's a ton of flights. But knowing what we know now, I'm not sure they would have had to shut down the airport. I think they could have went deep underground into one of these levels through a tunnel and done whatever they need to do with no one else noticing. 
Except I get that these are high quality bunker situations, but radiation could still get through. And obviously, as we know from Japan, you put off a nuclear bomb and there is going to be vast repercussions. Why would they want to do that underneath where hundreds of thousands of people go through every single day? So I'm not as sure about that theory. Him coming to protect him in case something did happen with that comet, that one seems a little bit more realistic to me. Yeah, I agree. Moving on from aliens and the military base theory, let's get into a lighter topic. There is a big conspiracy that the Illuminati is going to flock here during the apocalypse. Excuse me, how is the Illuminati a lighter topic? I never thought I'd consider the Illuminati a lighter topic, but here we are. I'm kind of unbiased around the Illuminati. I love a good conspiracy. I'm neither here nor there. In the words of Beyonce, y'all hate us corny with that Illuminati mess. And that is the fourth time you've had to hear that, Elise. It gets better every time. This is Annie's announcement for her debut album. But I do feel like this notion of a group of people who controlled not only the location of the airport, the underground levels and tunnels, and just the massive size has to exist. Your average Joe is not here saying, we need this massive airport with all this space and tunnels that we aren't going to use. So I did some digging, and it turns out that there actually is factual proof of a secret society and their involvement with the airport. For anyone who has taken a history class, the term Freemasons isn't new. The Freemasons are one of the world's oldest secular fraternal organizations. So how do they tie into the DIA conspiracy theory? The most persuasive piece of evidence that ties them to DIA is a dedication capstone at the airport's south entrance dated March 19, 1994. Sealed beneath the stone is a time capsule containing, quote, messages and memorabilia to the people of Colorado in 2094, end quote. The granite marker depicts the square and compass symbol of the Freemasons and has the name of two Grand Lodges and their Grand Masters. I was just at the airport. I've heard here and there the conspiracies around the airport. So I wanted to go check this thing out for myself. And she's not kidding, you guys. We all know the compass, the all-seeing eye, all of these symbols that are supposed to correlate with Illuminati, Freemasons, whatever you want to call them. It is just sitting there for anybody to see, which is confusing a little bit because it kind of rules out the whole secret aspect of it, you would think. True. But sometimes the best secrets are kept right where everyone can see them. Mm-hmm. And if you saw that, I'm sure you saw that on the capstone, they make mention of a group called the New World Airport Commission, which unlike the Freemasons, this group does not even exist, making its inclusion a little tougher to explain. That sounds oddly familiar. What does it sound like? You said it was the New World Airport Commission? Correct. I think we're all familiar or have heard just in media the phrase New World Order. Exactly. Sounds oddly like the New World Order. And they're taking credit, this airport commission that doesn't exist is taking credit for building this airport. Exactly. Back to earlier in the episode, whenever we talked about who's funding the airport, there is a theory that this New World Airport Commission funded everything, but they don't exist. So where's that money coming from? If anyone wants to know what's in the time capsule, it's kind of vague, but supposedly it's filled with coins, a baseball from Coors Field, a pair of sneakers from a former mayor, a few Black Hawk Casino tickets, and other memorabilia. You said that this is supposed to be open in 2094, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Who wants the mayor's crusty, dusty tennis shoes? It's going to be a smelly unveiling. <laughs> I understand like memorabilia coins from this time, although we don't even really use coins all that much anymore. Uh, besides Bitcoin, I don't know how they'd put that in a time capsule. But the vanity of thinking that someone would want your crusty old shoes is a little bit out there. Mm-hmm. Last time I was at Denver, I too checked out these time capsules because I'm one of those people who get to the airport like two hours before my plane even boards. But this time it did pay off. And if anyone ever wants to see this capstone, it's located in the terminal under a huge U.S. flag. You cannot miss it. We are now moving on to another piece of the DIA puzzle, the artwork. A big piece of this conspiracy are the murals, statues, and plaques around the airport that truthfully are odd and hard to explain. First up, let's talk about our boy, Lucifer. This is another theory that actually has a ton of facts around it. If you've ever been to DIA, you've most likely seen the massive blue horse on the land surrounding the airport. This statue has demonic glowing red eyes and it's up on its two back legs in a pretty aggressive stance. His mane kind of reminds me of Medusa snakes and this horse is yoked. He is so muscular and veiny. That is a polite way to put it, Annie. <laughs> He's bulging. Like he has some shoulder muscles. He has those back legs. Not going there, but you know what I mean. Veiny and bulging. You heard it here first. In total, the statue is 32 feet tall and weighs 9,000 pounds. He's a big boy. It's a little unknown why exactly a horse was chosen, but some say it's a nod to the Denver Broncos, which is our NFL team. And others say that the blue horse comes from a legend in the San Luis Valley. This valley is a region located in southwest Colorado that spills over to New Mexico. Legend states that wild mustangs roam the valley, and one of them is said to have a blue coat, red eyes, and is capable of flying. I like to choose a second option because the thought of a flying horse is spooky and spectacular. Well, and at least it would make some sense because if you don't know this little history lesson you're giving us, that is the most unwelcoming thing when you are driving into the airport Mm -hmm. and we're arriving here, let's say, and you're like, oh, I'm so excited to be in Denver. Wait, why is this demonic horse with glowing eyes peering into my car? It doesn't exactly say, welcome, this is the land that is full of nice people here to welcome you, and and here's our, our sign. No, it's terrifying. It is, but this story gets even creepier. The creator of the statue is named Luis Jimenez, and this is where the story gets eerie. The city of Denver commissioned the statue to be built in the mid-1990s while the airport was being established. Luis won the bid and was working on this horse. He was almost done with the project when a piece of the 9,000-pound sculpture fell on Lewis, severing an artery in his leg and sadly killing him. Okay, so now the horse is also a murderer. It's a cursed horse. The reason behind those glowing red eyes is a bit spooky, and the story is best told by Lewis's widow named Susan. Susan did an interview with CPR.org, and she told a chilling story. She remembers a time Lewis was home alone at night, He heard something in the living room and went to investigate. He sees these two eyes, she said, and he said the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He had thought there was an invader in their home, but then felt a nudge from a familiar source. It was their horse, Blackjack, who was the model for Lewis's work. This horse had mysteriously broken into their living room from the horse's barn, 
And this gave Lewis the inspiration to have the glowing red eyes kind of as a tribute to his boy, Blackjack. I wish that gave me some semblance of comfort of, oh, he really loved his horse. But it doesn't really explain why he saw the glowing eyes in the first place. Maybe it was like a reflection on animals' eyes. You know how that happens. That could make sense. But I know beauty is in the eye of the beholder. All art is subjective. But I would venture to guess that no one is comforted by seeing this thing. No. Is it the Stallions? Is it a nod to the Denver Broncos? Is it a tribute to his boy Blackjack? I think it's kind of all the above. But it's odd how demonic the horse looks. I agree. Because of Lewis's death, the sculpture had to be finished by his friends, family, and even race car painters. It was completed and unveiled in 2008. The sculpture was referred to as the horse which killed its maker, and the red-orange-colored eyes added to the sinister attribute. It now stands proudly and stares upon those coming to and from the airport. I travel to the airport pretty often, and I always feel a little uneasy when I see Lucifer. But, to your point, Elise, art is in the eye of the beholder, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. To say it's an incredible piece of art is an understatement. Lewis did a beautiful job, and his family and friends should be very proud. Next up on the long list of weird things around the airport are the murals. Elise, pull up Google for me, because I want to hear your take on these. I know you're about to be freaked out. Yes, because I clearly am a art critic of the highest accord. You can find these end-of-the-world-themed murals in the east and west baggage claim area outside of the Great Hall. The artist of the first mural, which is 28 feet wide, is named Leo Tanguma. This mural supposedly paints a picture of the end of the world as we know it. This mural is massive, and it's split into two pieces separated by a doorway that is, unexcitingly, an emergency exit. Together, this mural tells a variety of different stories for travelers to interpret while waiting for their bags. The first piece I'm going to talk about is called In Peace and Harmony with Nature. It's said to symbolize environmental destruction versus environmental healing. We're going to do our best to describe this mural, so do us a favor and close your eyes. Picture a brightly colored, horrific scene of trees burning in the background, animals in glass cages flying, a girl lying in a coffin, and young people fleeing the scene while crying. There's a whale, a tortoise, and a jaguar who all look distressed. There's a large bird hovering above this commotion and looking down, and he has some big main character energy. When you look at this mural, it's sad, and quite honestly, it's very ominous. Elise, what do you think about this mural? I think you are massively downplaying this. (laughs) And the reason we're describing this to you guys is because if you went to the Denver airport right now, this actually is not up currently because the Great Hall is under construction. So you won't be able to see this till that construction is finished. So she gave you the PG version. Um, Not only is there a little girl with her arms folded across her chest, definitely laying in a box, which I can assume is a coffin, but... All of the animals in this look, you said distressed. I'm going to say real, real dead. Real dead. I'm pulling it up now, too. Okay, this jaguar is laying across like a field of, not a field of flowers, but like a bed of flowers with its head kind of awkwardly positioned in a very unnatural way. The buffalo looks like a taxidermied buffalo that's just stuck to a tree, just (laughs) his head. And then the whale was the only one that at first glance, I thought like, oh, the whale's jumping out of the ocean. He looks to still be doing okay. Until you look at the colors used and its positioning, 
It's not jumping up. This whale is bleeding out on the beach. You can see the blue for the ocean, Mm -hmm. then that red, and then the brown, which I assume is the beach, representing sand. And this whale is is literally bleeding out. And, oh, Annie, look at the bottom left. Looking. Okay, so there's not just one dead girl. There is another one. Yep. In the bottom left corner, she looks to be, like, middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Nothing about this. I mean, what is this called? Peace? And peace and harmony with nature. Well, bullshit. <laughs> this does not look peaceful, and nature is on fire and bleeding out and being taxidermied. The only thing that looks to be surviving this scene. Oh, oh penguins are my favorite animal, and I just noticed there's a penguin that looks like it's stuffed in a glass cage. That made me really sad. Every time we look at this mural, I feel like we see more things. Yes, and I don't love it. No, but the, but look at that bird. The bird is either breaking out of the cage or in a glass box of some sort, but he seems to be doing okay. Everybody mm-hmm. else is either dead or a hot mess. That bird is a quetel bird, and sometimes used to symbolize extinction. So it kind of makes sense in this mural. Why maybe he's surviving and everyone else, in the words of Elise, is real, real dead. One of the main conspiracies around the airport is that a mass extinction event will happen soon, and Denver was kind of built as this sanctuary for those selected to emerge in the new world unscathed. This goes back to Mr. Obama and that conspiracy. Yep. Now go to the second piece of this mural, because it's the complete opposite. Once again, we're going to try and describe this for you, so close your eyes and picture this. The mural shows a very diverse number of adults, children, and animals coming together and crowded around this very unique rainbow-colored plant with a yellow halo above it. They all have smiles on their faces. They seem happy. The animals in this mural are dancing around, looking majestic, and they also seem to be really happy. It's a complete 180 from the first part of the mural. Elise, I want your take on this mural. Well, from someone the esteemed critic that I am, if we just go into color theory, the comparison of even before you zoom in and look at the individual parts of this, the color theory is completely different. The first one has really muted tones. It doesn't feel happy at all, except for that bird. Is this one, you have every color of the rainbow. This is going to age me, but it kind of has the colors of like a Lisa Frank painting. Yes, that's a good way to put it overly vibrant like it has no realistic coloring so the middle of this whole mural is this plant with the halo above it kind of that rainbow plant and this is supposed to stand as a symbol for the new world government and the new way of life that everyone will have to follow once that extinction event is over you mean the new world airport commission yep and see how everyone seems happy it's supposed to get this like look it's happier on the other side the first picture the first mural was horrible a lot of death a lot of destruction the new one is happier kind of giving the symbol of like once everything passes it's going to be good i don't know how someone thought to tie a plant to the new world order but at this point nothing is off the table and i'm here for it there is another mural called children of the world dream of peace and let's just say it was a pretty bold move to add dream and peace as the title for the third time this episode we're going to attempt to describe this mural to you In the first section of the mural, there's a large soldier with a gas mask, and he is wreaking havoc over a group of people. He has a gun in one hand and a sword in the other. The sword is piercing a dove, which is kind of a symbol of peace. 
There is a caravan of refugees trudging away from him, a hiding child with a teddy bear, a dead child in someone's arms, and ruins everywhere. I don't know if I really agree with this gas mask thing, because if you look close, I get why people think that, but it almost looks more like it's this man's actual facial structure. Mm, I actually can see that now. Yeah, there's no start or stop to it. These paintings are terrifying. Absolutely Mm -hmm. terrifying. Again, if we go into the colors used, this painting is incredibly muted, except for the children that are crying are the only thing done with any vibrant colors. And then you see this rainbow that's going across half of the mural. And then as it goes behind Mr. Creepy Green Guy, which is his official name, I talked to the artist, it was Creepy (laughs) Green Guy. The rainbow just completely disappears and washes away to to nothing. And as we know, like you said, the symbol of peace being a bird, rainbows kind of light at the end of the tunnel after a dark, stormy day. All of that is being destroyed by Mr. Creepy's green scary man. Mm -hmm. Now look at the second section of this mural. It's similar to the first mural. It's the complete opposite. It shows a celebration of many young people with the same soldier from the first part but he is now dead below them. Doves rest on his body and his sword is being disassembled by a kid with a hammer. This one is totally different. Just like the other one, the colors are crazy and vibrant. But Annie, if you take a look, Mm -hmm. not only is there every nationality represented, everybody Mm -hmm. looks happy, healthy, but all of these children, you don't really see it at first, but they all are carrying flags representing different countries of the world. And yet wrapped in those flags are weapons. They're all knives. Looks like a gun in one of them. Oh, my gosh. And it's almost yeah. like they're bringing them to the middle of this painting, to this center character, which kind of reminds me of the nativity. You Mm -hmm. see a woman in the middle holding a little kid and everyone's kind of gathering around them. And and again, it's all of these nations represented in this painting. And they all look a hell of a lot happier now that, you know, Scary Green Guy has been has been murdered, seemingly. One thing that these murals have in common is this war versus peace theme. They're all a little bit chaotic. You can hear Elise and me trying to decipher these. Um, Your mind really runs wild when you look at it. And it's bizarre to me that this is in the airport where families and kids are walking past it. And it is so, so eerie. Again, why all of these really ominous symbols? Well, I'm about to give you a really ominous piece of uh, information right here. It's a little out there, but I have to talk about it. By the murals, there is an inlay on the floor and it features the letters A-U and A-G. Oh, oh, that's gold. I know that growing up in Alaska. Exactly. This is a nod to gold and silver, which is appropriate. After all, Colorado has a rich mining history. But some believe the letters represent Australia antigen, which is a very dangerous strain of hepatitis that could serve as a biological weapon. (gasps) Mm -hmm. These two symbols, combined with the unnerving murals, have fueled one conspiracy theory that the airport could be a hub for biological warfare. Okay, Annie, put on your tinfoil hat because this is where my ADD brain, you know, I hear one word and I'm like, squirrel. And in this (laughs) case, I'm like, biohazard. So I was watching Criminal Minds as I do to relax because I am an absolute freak. 
<laughs> and they had this episode, I don't know which one, where basically they're in New York and there's this chemist of scientist of some sort who has created a biological weapon. Okay. And he is wanting to basically get the attention and the notoriety. And so he goes into the subway system and he's about to unleash these things. Well, of course, the smart little scientific dude that's super cute on that show, can't remember his name, but like, wow, call me. He saves the day in the last minute. But the last minute or two of the episode, it shows a guy in a biohazard outfit and he's carrying the box with that guy's disease of whatever that he created. And it kind of looks like a safety security box. Mm -hmm. And he's going down all these levels like you're talking about the airport. And then he goes into what looks like a very sterile bunker safety deposit box location and he pops it in and then it zooms away and you see just thousands of these little boxes. Now my brain is going from criminal minds to whatever the hell is supposed to be depicted in these pictures. And the fact that this is such a secret thing, it's so far underground. What if it's a storage for potential biohazardous materials that come in and out of the country. I think we all just saw the birth of a new conspiracy theory via Elise. <laughs> I really, one. really took you uh, on a wild ride there. I'm creating my own conspiracies at this point. But is it that far-fetched? No, it's not. You have to have a place to store that. You can't just be like, oh, okay. Look, what was the one in the 90s right after September 11th that everyone was getting mailed? Anthrax. Anthrax. You can't just be like, oh, well, we found this anthrax and we're just going to keep this at the hospital. What if there's an earthquake and the little beaker breaks and then anthrax is everywhere? Okay, now I'm really going on a tangent. But you have to have a safe place to store that. And seemingly in the middle of a dry, high desert, mm -hmm. eight levels below ground, sounds like a pretty safe thing. And that guy, what was his name? Skeeter? Phil Schneider. Schneider? <laughs> <laughs> I like Peter though. That's kind of fun. He mentioned, did he not, like they do medical experiments down there? Yep. He said that those underground bunkers and buildings are used for a variety of different things. One of them was medical experiments. I've either had too much coffee or I'm onto something. I think you're onto something. Okay, but let's go on to, once again, a little bit of a lighter note because murals aren't the only odd pieces of artwork around DIA. You probably saw these when we came back from North Dakota, but the gargoyles that are overlooking baggage claim, creepy. And historically, gargoyles were added to buildings to protect the people inside from evil spirits, which makes me wonder why they choose these creatures of all creatures to put by the baggage claim. Because they're checking not the bags, but making sure that they're not full of biohazardous weapons. There we go. Some people who created these gargoyles, they said, no, they're there to protect your bags. And I'm like, that's a joke because my bags are always getting lost at DIA. Probably because that lengthy, very expensive underground baggage system isn't being utilized. Amen. The last piece of a conspiracy can be a little bit triggering. So I'm going to talk very briefly about Hitler. If you don't want to listen, that is absolutely fine. Please just fast forward about 30 seconds. From a bird's eye view, the runways are laid out to look almost like a swastika. And some hypothesize that an architect of the runways did this on purpose as an ode to Hitler. That's all I want to say about this, but it's talked about a lot when it comes to Denver Airport, so I didn't want to leave it out. I want to add, it's not that far-fetched, because if we're going back not that many years, 
we actually did bring a lot of Nazi or Nazi sympathizers that were well-known in their craft, whether it be scientists, Mm -hmm. whatever. They helped us with the space mission. So would it be that far-fetched to think that they could have helped build this very mysterious airport? No, that's a really good point. Suspicious. My favorite thing about DIA is that they really lean into these conspiracies. They take the approach, if you can't beat them, join them, because they have some really incredible marketing campaigns around these conspiracies in the airport. Most recently, Denver has capitalized on the mythological past with a series of ads. One shows Blucifer, that big blue horse, with red laser beams shooting out of his eyes with the tagline, are we creating the world's greatest airport or preparing for the end of the world? Another one shows those gargoyles in a TSA scanner line and asks, streamlined security or more secrets. Others depict space aliens, a lizard person, mysterious tunnels, and my personal favorite, a cat in a tinfoil hat. Which is what I basically should currently be wearing after the tangent I just went on. It's a cute ad, and all of them are hashtagged Den Files, which is a play on the X-Files TV show. And they all urge viewers to learn the truth at denfiles.com. And you bet your bottom dollar I've been on denfiles.com. It's really great. But do you know one theory that's never addressed in any of these marketing campaigns? Well, hold on. You talked about the artwork. You talked about the gargoyles. The aliens. The military base and tunnels. Ding, ding, ding. They never once mention the theory that DIA could be this big military annex. I almost wonder if they're using the other conspiracies as a total distraction and kind of playing off that lighthearted, oh, look, we know what you're talking about. But in reality, I've never seen a joke about a military annex. Yeah, again, it's one of those things like the AU, the time capsule that clearly has very confusing messaging around a secret society and this new world airport federation nonsense that doesn't exist. Okay. What if this all is, if we put it right in front of you, you won't question it. Yeah. And that wraps up my case, Elise. The next time anyone comes through DIA, please take note of these odd characteristics of our airport. Blow our boy Lucifer a little kiss and check out the murals because I would love to hear any and every thought around this airport. Even if you don't agree with conspiracies, that's okay. Hit me with some facts. I'll listen. I've changed my mind before. I can do it again. Oh, the one time that you can't even say you were wrong, just misled. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Well, I may have also misled people down a whole new conspiracy of biohazardous material and how it crosses paths with criminal minds. (laughs) So if so, sorry about that, but not sorry. I am hoping and praying that this audio worked and you are hearing this because Annie, you did such a good job researching this episode. It was a fun break for me. I hope it's a fun break for our listeners as well from going from some pretty heavy topics with the butcher baker to just kind of letting our minds wander where they will, going over some fun conspiracies. However, we have a case coming this Sunday. I'm doing a case that involves makeup and how it was used to poison people. I am so excited for this. You might be thinking the Victorian era. We're not talking about lead poisoning. We are talking about intentional poisoning using the good old compact in your purse. So with that said, we will see you Sunday. Thank you for your patience in us getting this episode out. And until then, 